uncivilized behavior. It leads to the breakdown of everything. And the government, it's going to step in to be our savior because we can't save ourselves. You're listening to The Alex Spicer Show, where we explore the fundamental principles of freedom and happiness in light of current and historical events. By exploring these principles, I hope to enlighten and inspire you to make the difference our nation needs to get through the troubled waters of today and tomorrow. Hey, before we jump into this, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, to the channel. Make sure that you like this episode and that you also can leave a five-star review. Remember, only fives because that's the only way to go. Uh, And share this with other people. There are others who need to hear this, who need to be encouraged. Share it with them. You're going to do the right thing when you do that. Help me make an impact for the better in our liberty to defend that which is good in America. We need more people who are going to defend it. Help me defend it. Help me defend faith family, and freedom. Now, without further ado, here's the episode. So, a couple weeks ago, I had done the Do We Deserve Liberty podcast episode. Now, this is part two, because there are more details we can go into here, and I think it might be fun to explore some of these. There is a part where, in that quote that I'm sharing uh, from Edmund Burke, where he says that... um, Men are qualified for civil liberty in exact proportion to their disposition to put moral chains upon their own appetites. I find that it's helpful at times to look at the antithesis of good mentioned uh, of the good, excuse me, mentioned in this quote, for example, uh, because today we are living quite contrary to civil liberty. So. He says, you know, our our liberty depends upon our disposition to have these moral chains. But what are we doing today? We produce entertainment in the form of movies, music, and video games that promote recreational violence and sex, selfishness, drugs, drug use, excuse me. All of these things, they satisfy baser, more animal-like desires and passions. They don't uplift the individual, nor do they advance others. This is so much to do about, there, there's so much to do about self-restraint. These moral chains we put upon ourselves, what what is the, the central uh, cause of us having self-restraint? And that is moral chains. For When you are willing to curb your behaviors, you're willing to not act upon baser impulses, you're willing to act, uh, as we like to say, civilized, you do so because you have decided within yourself that there is a right way of doing things, there's a wrong way of doing things, there is right and wrong, there's good and bad behavior. What that means is that you have put moral chains upon yourself. And let's go a little bit deeper. Moral chains... How on earth do you establish moral chains? Well, clearly, not everyone has the same moral values. Uh, that that morality is it's a very general and broad and loosely used term, but morality, like everyone can have a a different sort of version of morality in and unto themselves. 
And as a whole, as a, as a nation, as a society, as a community, we can share a common set of moral values. And even though we may differ on opinions or degrees and we can vary across the spectrum, if we can have this disagreement upon you know what is right and what is wrong generally then we can get along pretty well we, we can have a good civilized civilized society and when you when you try to break down okay if we're going to have more uh we're going to have self-restraint and that comes down to our, our our belief our perception of morality what we believe to be right and wrong where does that come from where do you where do you create this belief in right and wrong. Well, the definition of morality is the principles that define that help the, the the principles that help you define what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. These principles they don't come from nowhere. We we can create our own principles. But the more important thing is, are we going to, are we going to live by and utilize and, and create morality based upon true eternal principles, or are we going to going to make up our own principles? You know, the things that are really contradictory, <laughs> contradictory, excuse me, and and um, very temporal. Because we can come up with all sorts of principles, but really, in the end. They are not universally uh, applicable. They do not create positive outcomes. But where do those principles come from? Well, you maybe you don't. You're not gonna like this answer, but the answer is it comes from religion. And there's lots of religions out there. There are many religions, and not all religions are are equal. Not all religions are good. We're not gonna play this moral relativism game where it's like, well. You know, all religions are, are the same. No, no, no. Some religions produce real good outcomes, and, and there are plenty that do not. So there are there is a difference between religions because some, because some religions are teaching true eternal principles that when you mesh them all together, when you, when you allow the principles to work together properly, they produce really good widespread um, outcomes, you know, uh, Autonomy, uh, liberty, freedom, prosperity, you name it. When you turn to religion, and let's let's go with like Christianity, for example. You you have this belief in God, and most religions do. You have this belief in God, and you believe that God has taught certain things. He's given commandments, he's also given his word to or to prophets, and and we have these things written down, and we start to get a glimpse into what is right, what is wrong. Because what you have in religion is you have a, a, a ultimate moral authority. Ultimate. Right, there's nothing more conclusive on any subject than, than, than this, this higher, higher power, this higher being, God. They are the ultimate moral authority. What they say to do is the right thing to do, even if we don't fully understand it. But as we recognize the patterns, as we also understand the words, uh, for example, in the scriptures, in the Bible, we start to understand what the, the, those principles because of what the higher, our ultimate moral authority is teaching us. 
So we have we have ultimate moral authority. They will this ultimate moral authority is going to officially tell us, you know, what is right, what is wrong. They're going to say, you know, don't do this, do this, etc., etc. You know, this is how you should behave. This is not how you should behave. And we and we also recognize, okay, so if this is how we ought we ought to live, and we start to grasp the principles behind those let's call them commandments and and uh, the 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 tenets of of our religion as handed down to us from our our higher power or, or what we believe our higher power has given us. Well, now you have the basis for morality, because now we say, okay. This is right. This is wrong because of these principles. Where do these principles come from? They come from God. And even if you you know you start to, oh, actually, I, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'll I'll stop going down this rabbit hole too deeply. But I'm hoping that makes sense. Now, by not feeding base desires, if we choose to overcome this natural inclination to do the selfish things to to follow his base appetites and let me just take take a quick side tangent here human beings are not inherently evil we are not necessarily inherently good we are inherently capable of great good and great evil that's that's what human beings inherently are we are inherently capable of doing either or, of being good, being or being evil, and that is something that, if you can look at all of the philosophers throughout history, whether you're looking at Hogg or um, Nietzsche, Nietzsche or uh, Socrates, Plato, just anyone, you have to just come to the conclusion that okay, it's not it's not hardcore one way or the other. Really, human beings have this capacity to, to do group you know a lot of bad or they have a capacity capacity to do a lot of good and how you encourage people to pull out of themselves uh, or, or maybe that's not a good way of seeing it not to pull out of themselves but to feed the good wolf if we go to that analogy you know, you know which wolf <laughs> which wolf is going to you know win this fight and you know whichever one you feed that old indian story how do we encourage people to to feed the good wolf how do we encourage people to to uh act upon the betterment of their natures well that's also something that religion tends to help a lot with because religion whether it's it's uh Christianity or something else, or or even just more of a, a spiritualism, where you have this this belief in in uh, universally seeing people as yeah, how I would put it as human beings, as as children of God, as people who are equal to you, e- equal in the, in the sense that they equally are deserving of respect and of and of goodness. And that they are capable also just like you to do good, to be good. When you have, you know, a religion that can that teaches those those exact things and encourages it, fosters, it creates this culture 
um, this idea that you know this is how you should behave. It, it fosters uh, a morality, and also you start to see people who will follow that morality. They create behaviors and norms uh, amongst their groups, and suddenly you have this this whole group of people, this whole community, and even up up to a nation, where people are actually willing to act for the good, even though every single one of us is struggling with the baser desires. We all have them. That's not new. And something that really, I really dislike about um, Marxism and progressivism is that it really comes down to feeding the baser desires because it comes, it, it, it is a question of moral relativism. It's like, okay, well, What's wrong if that's what I want to do? Let me live my life. And there's there's truth to the idea of letting one live their own life. There's truth to that. Like you have to allow people to make their own decisions, but you also have to hold people accountable for their actions. And we can't pretend like people's actions don't have consequences. And we can't pretend like laws don't encourage certain behaviors and therefore certain outcomes. Something I thought was really interesting is um, I had seen a interview with uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson, and he was talking about uh, the the negative impact that, that divorce laws have had on families, and how it would be very interesting if you were to really reverse laws when it comes to marriage and families. Uh, to to be like, what would basically it came down to like, what would it be like then? Because we see that when you make it so easy for divorces to happen and it makes it so easy for families to fall apart. Well, families are the, um, the fundamental unit of civilization and society. So if, when that crumbles away, you end up with a lot of issues. And well, imagine if you were to get rid of those type of laws or even go the opposite direction and make it really difficult to try to break up families so easily to, to really hold people's feet to the fire, to have more commitment and be willing to stick through things a little bit longer than what they want to. That was just the idea. Like, like what if, and I'm not advocating for, for the idea. I'm just saying, I thought it was really interesting. He brings it up that you have, um, you just have to recognize that all of these pieces have an impact on each other. And like I was saying, so law really does have an impact upon how people are going to behave and how, and how they're going to act. There is a cost benefit to everything. So self-indulgence, right? Or actually, let me just say by not feeding the base desires by us feeding the good wolf, we have the capacity to enjoy better relationships, stronger, happier families, and and safe, cohesive communities that serve one another. Self-indulgence is very easy. There's nothing to glorify about it. Quite the opposite. We should abhor it. There is a cost-benefit to everything. Our actions either come at the expense, uh, come at an expense, excuse me, or at a dividend. Do they pay you back or do they take away? Do they pay, you know, uh, do they also pay out to others? Because when you are elevating, you know, when you can improve yourself, you also improve those around you. Or is it coming at the expense of other people as well? Our actions are our life's assets or they are life's a- our life's ap- liabilities. We self-indulge, for example, 
when we watch pornographic or promiscuous shows or videos. And the consequence of that, if we look at this as a cost-benefit analysis, you know, so the benefit is, oh, I get to satisfy this craving this, uh, of mine, and I'm going to watch you know, pornography or uh, something promiscuous. The consequence of that is that it contorts our minds into viewing others as objects of our pleasure. Or we self-indulge with food, eating only the foods that we think taste good, the foods that comfort us or sweeten things up. And what's the cost of that of obtaining that benefit? It comes at the expense of our health. Or we indulge uh, in laziness at the expense of our neighbors and fellow Americans. And what I mean by that is you know, we do this by participating in or creating government programs that use tax dollars to fund others' deficits in providing for themselves. Studies show that as a whole, going off of that tangent there, government programs which give to people what they do not earn for themselves actually encourages dependence through the means of perverse incentives, such as giving them so many benefits that earning for oneself becomes too risky or undesirable. Yeah, then suddenly it doesn't make sense to to start providing, being productive, and, and taking care of yourself. That doesn't make sense at all if, if you get a much greater benefit by doing nothing. Or, or, you know, we create an environment in which we are set up to fail, such as by affirmative action, which can send anyone of a minority group to a school that is far above their scholastic capacities, where they would have been better off uh, and, and been more accomplished and happier if they had attended a school that was more equal to their abilities. Thomas Sowell speaks a lot about this. It's really fascinating. You really do set people up for failure when you go, well, we're just going to shift them around. Allow people to actually earn their the their paths in lives. In life, excuse me. Let's not pretend that without these vast programs that when the government creates that we create because we're the ones creating it, we you know we vote these people in and we vote for these uh, these particular legislations sometimes many let's not pretend that if we didn't have these programs that people would just suffer because churches throughout all of American history have always played a role has always have always played the role uh, as the social safety net and caretaker and Put it in another way, a lot of the programs that we have, they're fairly new. They have not existed for 200 plus years of American history. And technology was far worse in the past than it is now. Living conditions were far worse. Life expectancy was significantly lower. How on earth did people make it on their own when they didn't have all the government safety nets that we do today? Let's just admit to ourselves that people are far more capable than we give them credit for and far more um, resourceful and resilient. Going back to uh, uh, the idea that morality is dependent upon religion, 
if we abandon our religion, we ultimately abandon our morality and our sense of responsibility. It's really interesting, but religions tend to teach people, tend to teach people that they have responsibilities upon their shoulders that they are supposed to fulfill. They are supposed to take care of those things for themselves. That there's an expectation that they ought to. And that by neglecting them, they are actually doing a great disservice to themselves, potentially to their families, to their God. One of the tactics of evil, though, is to rile people up. And this is really interesting because I, you look at how many revolutions get started, whether it's the French Revolution or it's the Russian Revolution, pay attention to how it, you you get a, a large body of people who are so emotionally just in a rage. They, they are, they consider themselves a major victim and they want retribution and they are willing to obtain their own vengeance and justice at whatever cost that there's nothing to stop them. They are like a raging forest fire. So one of the tactics of evil throughout all of history, not just those more modern examples that gave you like the French revolution, the Russian revolution, and even now with uh with the riots and stuff that goes on today throughout history it really when people want a revolution they get people emotionally riled up they get them upset and unwilling to be reasonable they they get people to abandon their sense of of reason and judgment and humanity now as opposed to other places in the world accomplishing that in america has been quite hard to do thankfully but why? Why is it so hard to do here? Well, it's because we have always been a very religious people with a culture and a set of values and moral principles that has ensured all of us, for the most part, to obtain widespread peace. Hasn't been perfect, but for the most part, we have obtained that. It's been, and that's very unique to human history. If you understand the timeline of human history, it's just violence and, and, uh, oppression and uh and conquering <laughs> millennia after millennia century after century but the attack on the people of the american people as of late has been very enduring and relentless we see these uprisings of radicals and their followers who are so hostile that they disavow everyone and everything else and some radicals some people some of them are radical enough to to burn down buildings and portions of cities and violent, violently attack and kill people or who are just bystanders or even police officers they work so hard those who are evil work so hard to twist our minds to become so focused on the emotionality of a cause or an issue and that we will abandon our humanity and they are becoming increasingly successful that is the worry uh, the most terrifying thing to me they're becoming increasingly successful and it's but it's pretty easy to to 
twist people's minds and get them to join causes like this when they have no sense of purpose in life. As I've said in previous podcasts, the new religion of today is political religion. And it's not a good political religion. It's a, it's a, <laughs> uh, it, it's a Marxist, a communist political religion. And Marxism has always been an apolitical religion. And so when people don't have you know, a, a, a good religion to fall back on that they've been raised with and, and, and taught to live by, of some sort, of some peaceful sort, then they're, they're, people are going to obtain a religion in some way, shape, or form. No one ever lives without it. Even people who claim to be atheists, atheists you know, anti-religion, they just create a religion of their own type. And they have their own version of God, their own version of, of morality, their own version of principles and, and values. And it's very it's very easy to to accomplish that nowadays when there are so many, especially younger individuals who have no sense of purpose because religion provides purpose. Religion helps you understand your place in life and and the role you should play. And when you don't have that, you go, well, I feel lost. And suddenly when you're given a cause and you, and you are told that it is just, it is, you know, this is the thing to do. This is how you are righteous. This is how you can um, prove your worth and your value. Oh, the zeal for which people are willing to participate in very awful violence and, and uh, disgusting behavior is quite sad and it's very frightening. But why... Why is it still that we we see this going on? We see what's happening, yet we fail to do anything about it. I believe that most Americans are good. Most Americans are are very rational, and they see what's going on, and they don't agree with it. They don't think it's the right thing to do. But why does it grow? Why, why why does it seem like each election cycle when these things get riled up, <laughs> why is it that they get more and more in- intense? Why do we push ourselves closer to this brink? Why don't we come back further from it? And it's because, it, it, to I don't want to keep quoting Edmund Burke, but this is another quote attributed to him. It's actually not said in this way, but we say it this way. That the only thing for uh, for yeah, the only thing for evil to win is for good men to do nothing. I, I'm totally butchering it, but I'm try, that's that's the gist of it. And really, that is the gist of the answer here. It grows. Our our liberty shrinks. We prove that we are not deserving of it because we allow. We are we are responsible for the fate of our nation, and we allow our nation to decline, our culture to become decrepit. That is by our choice. By the sin of omission. It, it, that, that is a major part of it. And we are going to be the cause of our own destruction. And it's because we do nothing. There are so many more good people out there who are too afraid. And I get it. I get it. I've been there. I And I'm still there sometimes. I'll go, oh, should I really say this? Should I really post this? Should I really express what I feel I think about an issue? Ah, oh, but if I do, there's a stigma attached to that. Ah, oh, people are gonna see me in this way. They're gonna, they're gonna think that, 
oh, this is, you're, you're like that. Oh, okay. That there's, um, assumptions and, and implications that are completely false, but we all are very aware of. And so we would rather avoid that. That way we avoid being ostracized or, or losing opportunities. You know, you could lose your job. That's, that's a concern sometimes. We have to be brave and be willing to put ourselves at the front line and to defend these things. And how do you defend them? Well, I'm going to tell you one thing. You don't convince people by bashing them. And that's a very common thing political pundits like to do, right? They, yeah, let's just bash people. Uh, that, that doesn't work. People sometimes wonder why, you know, why do I do what I'm doing? And they also will sometimes think it's kind of dumb. It's like, you're not going to make a difference. But I believe I can in this way. Though some assume I'm trying to be like another political commentator. Well, if I'm just a political commentator, then it's just a matter of bashing other people over the head. And we, and I believe it's very common for those of us who are a do nothing, the do nothing good people, to enjoy listening uh, to political commentators because it allows us to satisfy our desire to to hear particular opinions of ours and 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 um. Uh, perspectives that we agree with that we have that are our own to hear it kind of reflected in, in these political commentators, but then also it plays upon the baser desire of, yeah, it's, it feels good to be, to feel justified in what you're thinking. Like, yeah, I think this and they're wrong in that way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Now that you've, you know, in a way, indulged your laziness, you you continue to live your life without really creating a a positive impact. That's sad. That's sad that we are in the cycle of 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 indulging of uh, placating ourselves through through a commentator through this sort of a proxy. We don't want someone who's just going to stir the pot. We want someone who's going to speak up. We want everyone to be that someone. We don't want to go this route. It doesn't help us if we go this route of being like a, a normal political commentator. This because it really comes down to whether you're on the left side or right side. It it's just a mess method of attacking symptoms of a problem more than it is identifying and going after the cause of the problems. What we need to aim to do is return to those fundamental things. Those things that have made it so hard for Marxist revolutions or socialism to take over our American systems. I'm talking about us returning to those moral chains upon our appetites. At the very core of it all, you'll discover the breakdown occurs at the abandonment of Judeo-Christian values and culture. And when we stop adhering to eternally sound principles of morality, it happens when families are destroyed, are dissolved. That 
is the core of the problem. We see all of these society societal ills, and I've talked about this in a previous podcast about societal ills. We have a tendency to try to put, you know, slap a band-aid on it to attack the symptoms rather than the the cause, the root cause of it. Well, when you have a breakdown of family, you have a breakdown of of morality, then you have all of these symptoms. And just talking about those symptoms doesn't help us. Understanding the cause of those symptoms helps us because if we care, we're going to say, okay, I don't want that for my family, for my life, and nor for my community. I'm going to defend those things. That is how you create change. That is how you show to the universe, to God, that you are deserving of liberty. That's how you move the people in a direction to where they will act in such a way that we earn our liberty. We d- we are deserving of it. We don't cast it aside through our own blindness. Let me share a quote with you. I love this quote. It's by Benjamin Franklin. He said, Only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. In other words, if you can't govern yourself, you must be governed. It, in another way of saying that, in my religion, we, we talk about you know, you're either an object to be acted upon or you are an agent that acts for him or herself. And to think of this in another light, children, are, they are ever learning this ability to have, have self-restraint. To control their appetites, their behaviors, to be civilized by the time they are adults. And it's a really hard process. Children are impulsive. They're crazy. <laughs> I've, I've got four of them. They are crazy. So because they are not yet capable, they have less freedom. And it, it is for their own good. They They would totally destroy themselves if they were left to their own devices. They need help. They need feedback. They need limitations, restraints, constraints. They, 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 from family, from parent to child. You don't give a child all the freedom in the world, but you also don't give them all the responsibilities of an adult. They have to mature to that first. You know, you kind of build upon this piece by piece, step by step. If we recess as a, as a society back into a more childish, barbaric stage, as most of humankind has been prone to be, then we aren't capable of being trusted to run our, to run our own lives in society. That is why we will have more need of masters. One of the greatest, um, the, the simplest uh, justifications of government stepping into this role of, oh, I've, I've got to take away more of your liberties, I've got to, I've got to take over now, and, and you know, uh, to to uh, create the pieces because it goes, okay, in order for us to, to survive as society, we're, we've got to, you know, we, I'm going to have to control everyone because you guys are just going to just destroy yourselves. 
So I've got to get in there. I've got to control you. And that's that's a very, very typical response to government. And if we behave incorrectly, well, then there will be all the evidence in the world to suggest that, yeah, the government needs to because we can't do it ourselves. And the government only became so the government governments only ever become so uh enlarged is because we invited it to do so uh, we invited the government to to do so by our own degradation of behaviors you see how this all ties together being so selfish and and living by our base desires well that is the perfect opportunity because that leads to uncivilized behavior it leads to the breakdown of everything and the government that it's going to step in to be our savior because we can't save ourselves we have to live by this sense of mind your own business to leave each other alone but to have each other's backs when we can't mind our own business it's it's that is when we can't leave others alone and when we're we are like that, we create many problems. And when I say mind your business, it, that could come in the form of taking care of your own responsibilities. It can also exist in the form of a concerted effort to better oneself, to seek their happiness, the pursuit of happiness, so to speak, in a peaceful way, in a way that respects other people's uh, rights. And not leaving others alone tends to happen when you get people who aren't willing to take care of themselves and fulfill their own responsibilities. And they are given the advantage of, of other people's money through, through tax-funded programs. Uh, they get this advantage to continue in their unproductive state. So if we want to be deserving of liberty, if we want to preserve the liberty that we have and even enhance it because it has shrunk in quite a bit. I really hope that, you know, if we're able to put a stop to the degradation going on, it would be great if we could also increase it, <laughs> make it grow once more. That's only going to happen if we can prove to others that we are going to behave civilized. We're going to avoid the echo chamber. We're also going to avoid sitting back and, and just listening to other people speak and say things that we agree with and have no action that gets us nowhere we have to be willing to state what we know to be true what we know to be good or bad true or false in order to defend it because people are not always going to just assume and agree upon the those things that are true and that are good everything is changing and and shaping you need to be, to actively participate in shaping it back to where it needs to be we need to shape culture once again to being a people who are willing who are completely dedicated to doing the right thing to to taking care of themselves not being a burden to society and then helping those who struggle, who will help other people do it with their own hands, not through a program, 
we have to shape the culture by being willing to step into those spaces where culture is being shaped the most. And when I say that, I mean media. I mean social media. I mean in news outlets, in public forums, in entertainment. We have to be willing to step in and provide the alternative, the the return to good. If we don't, then we're just going to spiral down. We will continue to be silent and and uh, watch as things disappear. You have to be vocal. You have to be active and participating in good. And you need to be visible. That is very important. You have to be visible because there is a spiral of silence that goes on where the this silent majority of the majority of Americans are believe in doing the right things. They don't agree with the, the evil that goes on, but they are not sure if others believe like them and they're afraid to say anything. So it creates a spiral of silence where their silence causes them to feel as though they are the only ones. And so they may even change their opinions and come out and, and join uh, that which they know to be wrong in order to not feel like they're in the wrong in order to not feel alone. It's a real thing. This concludes this episode of Do We, Deser- Do we Deserve Liberty Part 2. If you like what you heard, hit that like button and also share this with others. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your time. Live free until next time. <laughs>